Welcome to our Dinner Table podcast series with Derek Boylan. Magellan is on a mission to reunite families at the dinner table to help them become closer, sharing and more loving. Research shows that gathering together as a family is also good for easing anxiety and depression. In this podcast, we'll discuss when families should gather at the dinner table. Derek, father of nine and director of the Centre for Life, Marriage and Family in the Archdiocese of Perth. He's also a lecturer and counsellor at the University of Notre Dame in Perth. Hello again, Derek. Hi, how are you, David? Good, thanks. Really good. Now, Derek, uh, when should families gather at the dinner table? Probably seems like a silly question, but uh, it's a good place to start, I think, with this podcast. Yeah, for sure. Look, it, it is a funny question to ask, and, a, and a, I guess the answer is kind of a little bit, how long is a piece of string? Yeah. Um, however, I, and on one level, I would probably say, look, as often as possible. You know, the more frequently you do something, the more it becomes a, a norm in your family. At the same time, I would probably put a sort of a caveat there, and uh, and there's a, a, some beautiful wisdom, I think, some Francis de Sales uh, has in his writings that often in our lives we want to bring about change and uh, and sometimes we want to bring, bring about big changes in our lives and his advice is always just start small to start small because otherwise if you try to do everything at once or do a huge overhaul you know at the beginning you'll have high motivation but when high motivation sort of starts to drop off after a week or, or two especially if you've got reluctant children it's really hard to maintain it and so he always says, just start out small, something that is manageable, and then sort of build from there. And I think that's usually some pretty good advice, uh, to, you know, when it comes to introducing new traditions in your family. Start out with something small um, and then build on that as you go along. Yeah, no, that does sound like really good advice. So I guess it sort of leads into the next question. Is there an optimum number of meals a week, whether it be lunch or dinner, that family should gather? Or is it really more about the, the quality of time and not the quantity? Yeah, that's an interesting question, uh, David. And I think probably in a, in a way, I would my answer would be both quality and quantity are really important, but put more emphasis on quality. <clears throat> you know, uh, when we look at the research, uh, and I think there's a sort of an analogy here, but when we look at the research on quality time for couples in their relationship, there's a lot of research on how much quality time do couples need to maintain a healthy sort of relationship in their marriage. And, uh, and there's no clear consensus. I have some studies here in my office that suggest that, you know, in order to maintain a healthy relationship, couples need at least 15 hours of quality time a week. And, uh, and I've got some other studies here that say that in order to maintain a healthy relationship, couples need at least two hours of quality time a week. But there's a big difference between two hours and 15 hours. One's two hours a week and the other's nearly two hours every day of that week. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, and I think... Um, what it really means is that, you know, it's not so much a, a definite specific number that, you know, each couple and each family, you know, if they want to build healthy relationships, mealtimes are a great way to do that. Um, and how often that needs to happen is depend on the family. Uh, so some families, you know, are going to need uh, more time as a family than other families. And it also depends on what's happening in your family. You know, I, I sort of think, you know, as kids get older, um, sometimes they're not as available. Uh, you know, challenges and demands on the family change. And so there's certain sort of periods and seasons in a, in a family when it's more possible or less possible. But also certain 
periods in terms of just on a on a say a weekly basis. You know, Karen and I will often have a conversation that sounds like, you know, what we just need to have dinner as a family tonight. You know that we've had a lot on this weekend, and Sunday night we are not having people over. We're just we're going to have dinner as a family because we know that actually our family needs that. You know, and so I suppose it depends on what's happening in the family at the time and seasons of life. But quantity is also important, you know, and I just, uh, and you know, so I suppose the most important thing is that you are meeting as a family and you know, just sharing each other's lives. Uh, but, you know, I guess no relationship can survive without an investment of time with any living thing. So if you have a pet dog, you're going to take it for walks, you're going to feed it, you're going to take it to the vet, those sorts of things. If you have a pot plant, it needs an investment of time, right, watering it. <laughs> and families are no different. You know, we need quality time. But we also need enough quality time. And uh, and I guess a good gauge sometimes in that, one of the things that Karen and I ask ourselves is, how do we know when our family is not getting enough quality time? You know, often in families, there are certain telltale signs that start to show up, patterns of behavior, but actually we're not really connecting enough um, in each other's lives. You know, when we start to get niggly with each other, a bit resentful towards one another, easily irritable about kind of issues that are nothing issues. You know, that's usually a good sign that actually we're not spending enough time together as a family uh, and connecting. Because when we feel connected, we're more patient. When we feel connected, we're more forgiving. You know, when we feel connected, we're more compassionate with each other. And so that sometimes is a better weather gauge in terms of a specific number of days or hours a week, you know, that we spend, uh, you know, with each other sharing a meal. But actually rather what's happening in our family, it sort of tells us, you know what, we actually need more time, quality time, as a couple and as a family in our home is often a better weather game. Yeah, no, fair enough too. Um, Derek, does it make it more difficult if both parents are working, uh, but not insurmountable problems, but to, uh, in this day and age, we've discussed this in other podcasts, a lot of families have the two parents working because they just have to. We're, we're, we're uh, living with rising interest rates and grocery prices and everything, so there's no way around it. But uh, does that make the dinner table scenario more difficult? Uh, look, it definitely makes it more difficult. And certainly that's our experience. I'm often, you know, got evenings when I'm going to see clients for counselling. Uh, sometimes Karen has commitments. And uh, and it can be sort of difficult to work out those times. <clears throat> so uh, the thing that can sort of really help families is, one is, first of all, being open to those opportunities when both parents are there. So, you know, in our house, we really prioritise. If we're both there, we're having dinner as a family. Uh, and the kids know mum and dad are both home. Typically, we're going to have dinner as a family because we want to maximise those opportunities when they arrive. So I guess it's about setting an expectation that when both parents are going to be there, we are going to have dinner as a, as a family because we know that, you know, that there's uh, so many days often in a week when we're not able to do that. Um, I think even when one parent can't be there, you know, within reason, you still want to try and have dinner as a family. You know, one of the questions that often comes up uh, with our kids, typically on Tuesday nights, Karen has a commitment on a Tuesday evening. And so often she will not be there for dinner with us. And the kids will immediately ask, do we have to say grace tonight? Right? Because if we don't have to say grace, we're starting eating <laughs> before, before <laughs> everyone gets there. Yeah. And, uh, and my response is always, yes, we have to say grace as a family. We're not, we're not individually. We're going to start dinner together and we're going to have to be a family. Um, because uh, it is important to maintain that continuity and uh and uh, to be a family as much as possible um but also it's a great opportunity to advocate for the other parent 
you know, for the missing family members. You know, it's uh, it's important. You know, often when Grace, I just was like, you know, oh, God, please look after mum who is not here with us because she does a lot and she did a lot to prepare this meal before she left and, uh, and she's an important member of our family as well. It's so important for us, you know, in our relationships to advocate for our spouse. And mealtimes are actually a really important way to do that. And in a funny way, we can speak more frankly about them being missing when they're not there, you know, um, about, gee, you know, mum works really hard. Dad works really hard for our family and uh, for us to be able to, you know, have good food and for us to be able to sort of be able to share this meal together. But I have to remember that and be grateful for that. Uh, it's about building the relationship between children and their parents, even in the absence of those parents. It's really important. That's a nice little ritual, actually, to remember someone who's not there. That's uh, very nice. I haven't heard anyone say that before, but because uh, a lot of us take it for granted, we might not always be at the dinner table or eating together, but you don't always acknowledge the person who's not there. So that, that's a really uh, nice way of doing it. I think it's so important, David. It, we do that with all of our children. Even if they're just out catching up with friends that evening, you know, our young adults, just to say, well, Lord, please be with uh, Elijah or Isaiah and bring them home safely to us. Um, because, uh, you know, what, I, what I'm also, you know, it's not just about the missing family member. What I'm communicating to my children is that when you're missing, we are thinking about you as well. Like, okay. you know, that everyone in this family is important, you know, and whenever someone's missing, that's significant. Very. Um, you know, that we don't... Oh, I think kids, you know, sometimes kids can sort of go through life thinking, gosh, if I dropped in tomorrow, would anyone care? Would anyone notice? <laughs> and, uh, and so I really want them to know, you know what? We will notice every time we sit down and have dinner, we would notice that you were missing. Yeah, absolutely. It's treating every day as an important day and it should be treated that way too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Derek, are there times families shouldn't get together? Like, you know, if there's been a whole house argument... I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> I, I, I 100% agree. And I would say, yes, there are probably some times where actually trying to have a family dinner might be a dangerous experience. You know, if there has been a massive blowout in your house, um, and if you know that trying to make everyone come to dinner, uh, you know, might actually make things worse, you should just stop. You know, and, and it's really hard, especially if you've put a lot of effort into a particular meal. You know, it's often when you put a lot of effort into a meal, there are high expectations and then suddenly everything falls apart. And uh, and I guess the way to respond to that is have a lot of compassion. Gee, this is tough. You know, you had a hope or dream and it wasn't fulfilled. Um, and, uh, and to let it slide and then come back to it. Sometimes it's not like necessarily like a whole family sort of argument, but sometimes, you know, one person... In the family, they've had a, I don't know, they've just had a bad day or they're feeling particularly sensitive and sort of things blow up and they storm off to their room. Um, you know, I guess I think, you know, sometimes the best thing is actually to let that person have the space they need to calm down uh, to come into a healthier place. If you try to negotiate with them when they're, you know, when they're a fight-flight response, their limbic system is highly activated, you're probably not going to get very far in the conversation except to make it sort of worse and more resentful for both of you. The best thing often is to just sort of let it go, but you need to follow up on that conversation. You know, the hardest day, you know, just sort of get back on the horse is the day after you fell off the horse. And, you know, when you sort of maybe say, let someone kind of just not show up for dinner, then it sort of sets a precedent that, oh, well, if I'm having a, you know, a bad day, I don't have to show up for dinner. Well, we all have bad days. It is tough, you know, but I think it's important to sort of follow up with that person. When you're calm and to say, you know what, um, 
I know today was really hard, but we really missed you at dinner time. Yeah. And you're an important member of our family. And, um, and, uh, and I hope that's sort of that because you, know, you are important. We do want you there. And I miss you when you're not there. And we want to sort of follow up on that and not just let it sort of slide. And, and it's said in the past that, that actually, even the, the, the fallouts are actually opportunities for connection if we have the right sort of change of heart to about to approach it in a particular way. Yeah, no, fair enough. It's a situation, I guess, of go kindly, go gently, and uh, things will play out as they will in time. Yes, definitely. Absolutely agree with you on that, David. Okay. Derek, um, it's to be expected, obviously, that the older the children become, the frequency of sitting around a table with mum and dad will decline, especially, I guess, in their mid-late teenage years. Um, what are the things some of the parents can do to get adolescents to stay at the table? Yeah, look, it is, it's pretty normal and for that to happen. And I guess part of it is that families are always changing. <laughs> They're always adjusting and changing. And sometimes it's uh, kids don't want to be there for whatever reason. They're struggling in their family or sometimes it's just the nature of life. You know, they start to take on part-time jobs and, you know, they're working in that they can't be there at dinner time and those sorts of things. Um, and in a funny way, we should expect it. You know, um, I mean, can we imagine what it would be like if your children never wanted to leave home? You know, if they, you know, if they just were so happy that, you know, well, if they never actually bothered to leave, that'd be, you know, challenging as well. Dread the thought. <laughs> yeah. You know, that in a funny way, that urge for them to, sort of be discontent to want to leave the nest and, you know, work out who they are is actually a really normal part of uh, family life. And it's actually a healthy sign that they're growing, um, you know, and starting to form their own ideas about the kind of life that they would like to live in the future. Um, there's really interesting research on healthy families. And, uh, and I think about one particular researcher and he had an interesting observation. He said that you know, the only kinds of families that he would describe as sort of pathological families are families that become more rigid in the face of change. You know, when things need to change, they sort of double down and become sort of more rigid. He said that's that's the only kind of family that he would see as, you know, going to face real problems. You know, that uh, that in healthy families, we actually expect that things are going to change that and flexibility is going to be required around that. Um I think we talked in our last podcast about getting, you know, young people who don't want to come to the table to the dinner table. Um, but it's good to have expectations with them. You know, that look, I know that you know, you've got other priorities and you want to chat to your friends, but we do sort of expect in our home that when we have dinner, and it's not a big ask, it's only about, you know, 20, 30 minutes, but actually we have dinner as a family and, uh, and you're important to us as well. I do remember this family. Um, and, you know, as they start to get part-time jobs and those sorts of things, well, you just work out what are the times that we can actually, in a week, expect that we'll be together as a family. So in our house, for instance, at the moment, it's Monday night. So Monday night is absolutely 100% family dinner time. And any other nights during the week that we can get together as a family, we'll claim those as well. So um, but that's, uh, that is sort of sacrosanct is, is Monday night. But last year, it was Thursday night because in sport and jobs and those sorts of things changed um but we sort of make it clear that we do the whole family we make it clear there's an expectation that at least one night a week we actually all want to be there and we want to share meal with you because actually you're important to, to us and we're important yeah. to each other um, absolutely so having the sort of expectations but recognizing change is inevitable no that's right and it doesn't mean that uh, love isn't there but uh, 
children, young adults will at some stage spread their wings, as you've said, and they'll, they'll get jobs and they'll have girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever. So it's just uh, the, the, the way things happen. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, it's uh, it can be easy for us when people don't fulfill our expectations to feel that we're not loved. Um, but I suppose from, from our perspective as adults and parents, you know, loving is really willing the good of another and uh, being open to the fact that, you know, that they are trying to work out how to become young adults. They have priorities. They want to stretch their wings. Uh, and often it's not that they don't love us. It's just that they're trying to work out how to be uh, their own independent person and to be autonomous and to also be in relationship. And so we have to have a, a degree of just patience sometimes with that. Absolutely, and it's uh, so important. They need that autonomy the older they grow, as we all know. Derek, um, hopefully your, your children, as they grow into adulthood, will imitate their parents and gather, well, imitate their parents, good points, we hope, and gather around the dinner table with their kids. Is that your expectation? Yeah, it certainly is. And I think you know, a part of sharing family meals together is about trying to role model what, what we would hope their families will one day look like, you know, that they will recognize the importance of quality time, of spending that time together, of sharing a meal. Um, so we're trying to, you know, not just, I guess, uh, put the work into build our, building our own immediate families, but also laying the foundation that's going to help them to build healthy families in the future. And, and in previous podcasts, we've you know, covered all sorts of research on, um, you know, uh, I guess the that we know are the mental health benefits, social benefits, emotional benefits to you know shared family meals. So it is important that we're uh, role modelling what we hope they'll be able to sort of claim for their own families. I guess also recognising that you know family traditions change over time as well, and uh, and being open to the fact that you know, yep, okay, the tradition might look a little bit different in their family going forwards in the future. I think of one particular family uh, years ago that I worked with and growing up, Tuesday night was always, as they become young, young adults in that family, Tuesday night was always family dinner night. And so the young adults always knew that Tuesday you're expected to be home because we have dinner as a family. And um, and then as their young adults sort of started to you know, form their own relationships and to get married and to have their own children, there was this sort of still this rigid imposition. Nope, Tuesday night is family dinner night, and everyone's expected to be there, plus your spouses and your children. And and for this young couple, it was really killing their relationship. You know, they were struggling with parenting. They were trying to put in bedtime routines and those sorts of things. And it wasn't that they didn't love their family or care about them or want to spend meals with them. But you know, for that extended family, you know, I guess it was a sign that you know maybe some things need to change. You know, a little bit uh, in terms of traditions. And uh, traditions are always sort of a uh, uh, a little bit uh, tricky when it comes to those changes because transitions are always tricky. And uh, and so, you know, as we put in place those transitions, it's important that we just keep good communication alive uh, with all the people that are involved in that. And uh, um, and that's okay. It needs to change a little bit as uh, as time passes as well. Yeah, I mean, you're... you're- mentioned the extent of families of course that opens up a whole different era and we've done other podcasts i'm not sure whether with you or other people about extended families and some of the problems you can have with extended families and people who want to interfere but uh yeah that's a whole other story yes it can be very challenging at times i see many couples struggling with that because oh very challenging yes exactly derek um the value of family gatherings from one generation to the next is invaluable uh, it reminds me of the old Greek and Italian villages when the whole family would raise the child. Everyone contributed to everyone's well-being, and there was something in that, really, wasn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. Karen and I, with our um, some years back with our children, went over to uh, Italy for the World Meeting of Families, and we had some amazing experiences in parishes that have just sort of set up a regular gathering, and the whole community, you know, on a Friday evening, come together and share a meal, and uh, and uh, and it was just such a lovely experience, and for our children to experience community that way. The reality is that we all need community around us. Um, you know, we like to think that somehow our immediate family is enough, but it's not actually enough. Um, you know, I think with our children, you know, we have uh, eight sons in our family, and you know, and I came to realize, I think, at a certain point in the parenting of our children, that that actually I'm not enough of a man. I'm not enough of a man to be able to meet all their needs, to be a role model for each of their different personalities and styles and hopes and aspirations. That actually. You know, I needed to surround my sons lots of really good men, you know, and women and relationships and families um, that are going to sometimes speak into their lives, ways that I can't speak into their, their lives. And um, and so we need community. And one of the, the best ways to build community is actually through the celebration of meals together uh, and the celebration of important milestones in people's lives. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, Gosh, I think about this week. We've got a. We've celebrated my son's twenty-first. We had oh, seventy young adults up this weekend uh, to our home to celebrate a meal. We've got a young couple for pre-marriage education coming up to our home this evening. We've got another young person who's visiting from over east coming to spend time with our family, and uh, and actually, you know, I know that they want to come and see us, but actually, we benefit just as much from having them in our home as well because it's about building the community. Uh, in which our children are, are growing and developing. Sure. So the research is pretty unequivocal that one of the most important predictors of human flourishing is people having many strong, healthy uh, relationships around them. So absolutely. Meals, I think there's a real cultural wisdom, you know, in those communities about actually we need a whole community response, yeah, to the flourishing of our children and our own relationships. Yeah, no, exactly right. That's true. It's amazing you mentioned your son's 21st, but there's a big difference too. I've been to 18th and I've been to many 21sts, obviously. That three-year period, how mature young people become from 18 to 21? Massive. Huge. I was just thinking about that the other day yeah. as well. You know, uh, you know, and just to see the young adult, the cohort group that, you know, that he's going to, I mean, they're fantastic young adults, but to see that change in maturity, is they're really starting to think about their futures. They've had a bit of life experience outside of school now, and uh, and it's a huge time for change. Uh, and it's good to bring them close. We we often have young adults in our home for for dinner, and just sort of say, yeah, bring your friends back for dinner because um because we want to be a part of the the journey with them. And we know that they they're looking usually often in that sort of that change that transition. They're looking for wisdom. They're actually longing to have adults who are healthy and invested in their lives around them. Oh, exactly right. And that's where I, like, unfortunately, my grandparents died when I was quite young, so I didn't have that wisdom from my grandparents. That's something I've always um, regretted. It was just one of those things. They they died too young. So I never had that, and I, I really wish I had it. Absolutely. Anyway, just the way it goes, unfortunately, sometimes. Derek, uh, let's recap some of the main points from the podcast today. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, as you introduce new uh, changes into your um your family, when it comes to meeting, be patient and start small. You know, even if it's just one meal a week, uh, you know, with younger children, it's often you can do that more often because they're home and they're not going anywhere. But, you know, as kids get older, things need to, to change and to develop and to grow. 
um, and uh, and you know, and be persistent with it. Be patient and be persistent with it because there's well, I mean, there's so much to be gained, uh, you know, for your own immediate family, but also you know, for generations actually to come as we sort of work at building that into our family life. One of the things that sort of occurred to me that um, that just uh, that we haven't talked about over the course of this podcast. We talked a lot about sharing meals, but we haven't talked much about what happens before the meal and what happens after a meal as well. And uh, and I guess just a, a couple of thoughts there. One is, um, you know, when it comes to preparing a meal, it can be great to actually engage family members right then before the meal even starts. You know, when it comes to chopping up carrots or, you know, stirring the pot to make sure things don't stick at the bottom or putting the rice on. I think, you know, engaging family members in that stage is actually in doing something together, working together as a team to contribute to family life that's going to make a difference for everyone. I think it's uh, such a wonderful, you know, opportunity that we often sort of miss. Um, and it just can be just a simple invitation to, to do a little part of, of the job of preparing. The, the other thing is, you know, reviewing meals afterwards. You know, after the meal, you're cleaning up, maybe sort of reflecting on, Actually, how did this meal go? You know, involving inviting people to be engaged uh, in the process. In our house, I usually do the dishes, but sometimes saying one of the kids, yeah, have a tea towel, let's have a chat, you know, and doing that together. But I guess the last thing I think with cleaning up, you know, I was thinking about this just recently. Often people say to me after a big event like my son's 21st the other day, oh, and then you got all the cleaning up afterwards, you know, and that's, uh, that's always miserable. And actually, I had a real change of heart a number of years ago. I've got to say, I really enjoy cleaning up after a party the next day in our home because, you know, I guess the fact that we have a meal to clean up says that, you know what, we have a family that we're able to come together. We're able to share that time together. And I'd much rather have a family that comes together from time to time. And then I've got a lot of cleaning up afterwards because because they want to be together than to actually just be cleaning up my dishes because, you know, I didn't have the opportunity together with the people that I love. And so I think there is an opportunity sometimes when we're cleaning up, you know, sort of a pain in the neck job, but to actually have a change of heart around that, uh, to allow that space to sort of form us for who we want to be for the next meal that we have. Yeah, a good point. I think I've often thought of cleaning up as a time of reflection on the night or the day you've just had, funnily enough, and you, you talk no, no, about no. Uh, what's happened, if there are any interesting things people said, all that sort of stuff. So it's really a time of reflection too, I think. Yeah, it is. There's something uh, someone said to me years ago, and I, thought, I really appreciate them saying it. There's something quite spiritual, right, about taking something that is dirty, dirty cups, plates, bowls, knives and forks, and and then there's this process in which they become clean again, you know, and uh, isn't that God at work in our lives as well? You know, gosh, we mess up and we make mistakes, and, and yet God is somehow constantly calling us back into a relationship with him. There's something beautifully reflective and spiritual in that, in that process if we're open to it. Absolutely, it's good. And I'm glad you and uh, Karen survived your son's 21st. You're looking pretty good, so well done. Ah, cheers. <laughs> Thanks, David. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you again, Derek. Uh, we must do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, goodbye.